It's October 31st, 2016, and Jay Leno is a guest on The Tonight Show with Jimmy Fallon, the NBC late-night program he used to host. He's there to promote a new season of his show, Jay Leno's Garage. Jay Leno's Garage is coming back uh, November 9th. Right, right. uh, CNBC. Fantastic show. uh, If you haven't seen it, uh, you're gonna you're gonna love it. It's well yeah, done. If you have a laser disc player, you might not enjoy it as much. <laughs> but, but it's it, but it's 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 sort of car oriented, and we do have some celebrities, but we don't talk about their cocaine bust or the bad movie. It's just the, the cars <laughs> yeah. or their motorcycle. You just talk about whatever. cars, yeah. yeah and, and like a lot of talk show guests, Jay has a clip, and this one is from an episode featuring Vice President yeah, Joe Biden. We just had Joe Biden on, which I loved uh, because it's it's a very interesting. The ending is a uh, well, we'll just set it up. But he has this. Is it Corvette? No, what it was was, uh, yeah, he got a Corvette for a wedding gift, and he's had it since 1967. The show is about people's love affair with a car, a car they had their whole life, you know, they married in it. The The show is about people's love affair with a car. That's what Jay says. And that expression, odds are you've heard it a lot, most likely on cable news. Well, since the first set of wheels was invented, America has had a love affair with cars. America's love affair with SUVs, trucks, and crossover utility vehicles shows no sign of slowing down. The American love affair with cars, meanwhile, alive and well. The dealers have the pricing power, and that's pushing people into longer and longer car loans. America's love affair with trucks and SUVs will stay red hot in 2017. Americans have a love affair with cars. The, the love affair with cars has been with you for a while? Mm-hmm. Since as long back as I can remember. Really? You know. Okay, that last one, that's not a cable news segment. That is Charlie Rose interviewing singer-songwriter Neil Young. But still, why is it that whenever people talk about Americans and driving, they all seem to use the same expression about a love affair with cars? Where did that expression come from? And do Americans really have a love affair with automobiles? The answers to those questions are coming up on this episode of The War on Cars. Hi, this is Sarah. This episode of The War on Cars is sponsored by Cleverhood. I'm looking out my window right now and it's raining. The kind of steady rain that used to make me think I could never ride a bike in this weather. Then I got a Cleverhood rain cape. It's a stylish piece of gear designed by people who love to bike and walk and who aren't gonna let a little rain get in their way. Put on a Cleverhood cape, get on your bike, and you're covered thanks to some nifty design details like thumb loops that keep the cape in place when you're gripping the handlebars. Plus, reflective threading to make sure you're visible on the road. And one of the things I like best about my new Rover cape is that unlike a lot of rain gear, it's soft and cozy. Starting today and for a limited time, Warren Cars listeners will get a 20% discount on every product in the Cleverhood store. Just go to cleverhood.com slash waroncars. When you check out, enter coupon code waroncars, one word. Again, for 20% off on some really sweet rain gear, go to cleverhood.com slash waroncars. Enter coupon code waroncars when you check out. Keep riding in all kinds of weather with Cleverhood and enjoy the episode. Hey everybody, I'm Doug Gordon. Welcome to the War on Cars. To find out where the expression America's love affair with cars originated, I talk with someone I was sure would know. 
I'm Peter Norton. I'm an associate professor of history in the Department of Engineering and Society at the University of Virginia. Peter Norton is the author of Fighting Traffic, the dawn of the motor age in the American city. It's a fascinating look at the rise of cars between 1915 and 1930, and the physical and social changes pushed by the forces of what Peter calls motordom to transform streets from places for people into the sole domain of drivers. This expression, America's love affair with the automobile, like a lot of people, I kept encountering that over and over again. And uh, I, I wanted to know where this expression came from. I always heard it as if it was like folk wisdom, something that grew from the soil, so to speak. Peter found that the phrase basically doesn't appear in any periodical or book for the first two-thirds of the 20th century. But then, in 1961, it takes off. So I just started to look around in newspapers from that era, and uh, pretty soon it was clear that this expression was in advertisements for a TV show, and every single one without exception said this was going to be the story of America's love affair with the automobile. That show, Merrily We Roll Along, aired on NBC on Sunday, October 21st, 1961. It was sponsored by DuPont, which owned a 23% stake in General Motors, and the program is what NBC called a telementary, a portmanteau of television documentary, or what we might know today as an infomercial. But it wasn't trying to sell a specific car model, it was just trying to sell driving. And to do it, the show was hosted by one of the most famous names in comedy, Groucho Marx. He begins, um, as I recall, standing in a, a stable or in front of a stable with a horse behind him. And uh, there's a sort of implicit notion here that we're going to see the story of the passing of an obsolete way of getting around the horse and the introduction of the modern way, the automobile. This is my new invention for getting through traffic jams. I'm calling it a horse. There's still a few bugs in it and there's also a few bugs on it. The imagery at least suggests to me that this is going to be a story about how we left behind the old-fashioned, low-tech world for the fast-paced, uh, modern technology world represented by the automobile age and by the automobile itself. You know, if there hadn't been a horse, the automobile would have had nothing to replace. And that great American romance between a man and his car might never have gotten started. Groucho says, and then quickly repeats, the love affair line, almost as if he's drilling it into viewers' heads. Our love affair with the automobile started so far back that if you can remember it, it's a way past your bedtime. It was a real love affair, one that changed our whole way of life and is still doing it. I was a kind of a Stutz Bearcat man myself. That romance has left indelible scars on my arm, my elbow, and my kneecap. Those were just a few of the spots where the crank hit me. And if there's anyone who knows a thing or two about memorable lines, it's Groucho Marx. One morning, I shot an elephant in my pajamas. How he got in my pajamas, I don't know. Everyone knows Groucho. The iconic grease paint mustache and eyebrows, the cigar. He and his famous brothers starred in some of the greatest movie comedies of all time, including Horse Feathers, Duck Soup, and A Night at the Opera. Groucho was also a prodigious pitchman, and used his famous face and wisecracking persona to endorse Skippy peanut butter, GE light bulbs, and DeSoto automobiles. Friend, go in and see a DeSoto Plymouth dealer tomorrow. And when you do, tell them Groucho sent you. DeSoto, 
a division of Chrysler, was a sponsor of the game show Groucho hosted, You Bet Your Life. Here he is, Groucho Marx, in You Bet Your Life. Presented by DeSoto and the DeSoto Plymouth Dealers of America. Time has come, it's very clear. The car you want is really here. It's delightful, it's delightful, it's DeSoto. It began as a radio program in 1947, switched to TV in 1950, and remained on NBC for 11 years. The final episode of You Bet Your Life aired on September 21st, 1961 just one month before the broadcast of Merrily We Roll Along. And by that time, Groucho was one of the most familiar and trusted people in America, just the man you'd want to present an hour-long special about cars, warts and all. Frankly, the first automobile didn't find a ready place in our hearts. In fact, it inspired downright hostility. These noisy, smoking, stink wagons, said an angry farm journal, are designed to frighten to death anything they can't flatten out. The very sight of one is enough to dry up a whole dairy herd. If we cannot barricade our streets against these snorting, hissing demons, then we had better enlarge our hospitals for their victims and our penitentiaries for their drivers. So it might seem a little weird that an infomercial would address the problems people have with cars. But a sizable portion of the TV audience in 1961 would have been old enough to remember their towns before automobiles. Groucho himself was born in New York City on October 2nd, 1891, nearly 17 years to the day before the first Model T rolled off the assembly line. But Peter Norton believes there's more going on here than just a history lesson. If it is a commercial for car dependency, then it, it would seem counterintuitive that the early history of the car is depicted in this mixed light. But I think that what we're seeing in that early part of the program, when we see, for example, cars crashing and people criticizing cars and uh, so on, is we're seeing a comparison of the controversy and the anger really at cars in their early years with the anger against cars that was very common at the time that this program was aired. In the years following World War II, there was a big push to modernize and standardize America's disjointed roadway system, which culminated in the Federal Highway Act of 1956. Otherwise known as the National Interstate and Defense Highways Act and signed into law by President Dwight D. Eisenhower, it called for the construction of 41,000 miles of highway over 13 years with most of the tab, nearly $25 billion, picked up by the federal government. There was a scramble for the money. Uh, who wouldn't want a highway that's 90% paid for by the federal government? And the destructive effect on cities was obvious and extreme dislocation of residents. The parking alone for cars was uh, e eating up real estate. Uh, building owners were finding that they they could uh, save themselves a lot of property taxes by demolishing their buildings and replacing them with surface parking. And you can sort of watch cities being erased by uh, highways and parking in the 50s. And sometimes I hear that today this was all accepted as if this is the 1950s notion of progress. Not at all. 
There was intense controversy. People objected. They marched. They carried signs. They blocked streets. They demanded that their cities be protected. Um, they, they stopped projects. Typically, it was in the, the white neighborhoods where people could stop projects because of the political connections and the resources available. There was a lot of anti-car sentiment around the country. And while there were many demonstrations, one of the more notable was a protest held in 1958 to ban automobiles from Manhattan's Washington Square Park. It featured a community activist named Jane Jacobs. Who is Jane Jacobs? Never heard of Jane Jacobs. No. Where have you been? The Upper West Side. <laughs> this battle is our battle. The people of Greenwich Village, the ones who understand that cities are made up of more than buildings and roads. People make up a city. That scene from the Amazon series The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel plays a little loose with a history. Jane Jacobs wasn't exactly a household name in 1958, but it wouldn't take long for her to make her mark. And Jane Jacobs, yes, yeah, she was part of that movement, and she talks about that in her famous book, The Death and Life of Great American Cities. And that's a book that came out two weeks before Merrily We Roll Along was first aired on national television. So it's, a, it's almost like you could say like two boxers in a ring. You've got Jane Jacobs in one corner coming out with Death and Life of Great American Cities, and just two weeks later... You've got the DuPont show of the week coming out in the other corner with Groucho Marx. And the program, Merrily We Roll Along, nicely compares the controversy of the late 50s, early 60s implicitly with the controversy when the car was new. And that's a that's a very deft move because they also characterize this early controversy as 19th century throwbacks who uh, can't keep up with the times, um, Luddites really, people who are old-fashioned in their outlook and unwilling to uh, recognize that change sometimes requires adjustment. One of the ways it does this is by listing a set of ridiculous laws, some real, others exaggerated, that were proposed in the early 1900s by people who were fearful of cars. Anti-automobile societies lobbied for laws designed to make motoring downright impossible. One said, any self-propelled vehicle must come to a complete halt upon approaching a crossroad. The engineer must thoroughly examine the roadway ahead and sound his horn vigorously. Then hello loudly or ring a gun. After which he must fire a gun of sufficiently audible caliber to be heard at great distance. Thereupon, he will dismount and discharge a Roman candle, Vesuvius bomb, or some other explosive device as final warning of his approach. There's another way in which the program takes aim at people like Jane Jacobs. If you say something is a love affair, who can argue with that? The, the beauty of the love affair metaphor is that it sidesteps the critics. The critics are saying this is irrational, this is wasteful, this is dangerous, this is uh, unfair, the, the list goes on. All of those criticisms 
you can kind of evade them if you just say, well, you know what, this is a free country. And in a free country, we have to bow to the preferences of the majority and the majority have voted. It's a love affair. Love is not something that, you know, we judge on terms of its rationality or its efficiency. I mean, we even celebrate love if it's a little bit dangerous. That's kind of romantic, right? So the love affair argument nicely sidesteps it. And it also has the brilliant effect, I think, of caricaturing the critics. So the critics, Jane Jacobs included, and a great many others as well, could be associated with an urban Northeast elite, uh, writers, uh, university academics, columnists, people like this, who are judging the excesses of the automobile in the same way that the early automobile, in, at least in the documentary, is presented as being judged as well. Merrily We Roll Along frequently returns to the love affair metaphor, and at one point it compares the first automobiles to the new girl in town. The motor car was being treated like the new girl in town. After the initial curiosity, hostility set in. Clergyman pointed out that their use was not sanctioned by either the Old or the New Testaments. And the new girl in town, I mean, that expression has so much going on. I mean, for one thing, it's female. For another thing, it's girl, not woman. It's also the new girl. And I think this may be hard to pick up in 2020, but in the early 20th century, the new girl in town was considered dangerous, you know, to the, the morals of the young men, but also the chance to escape from the confines of an old-fashioned, confining, rural, small-town existence. So the car is, I mean, he's recognizing that the car is perceived as a threat, but it's a threat that ultimately is very attractive, and it's a threat that is sort of the necessary threshold into uh, a modern age and an escape from this 19th century Victorian world. From then on out, America's love affair follows a very traditional romantic arc. The internal combustion engine generated not only the power of at least 16 horses, but also the warmth of eternal affection. But while we had flighted with the others, it was Lizzie. Lizzie the gas buggy we finally fell for. We sang blithely about automobiling bubbling through life together and started out on the long honeymoon with our new sweetheart. If she had any fault, it was a slight crankiness. These were the days when cars seemed to have personalities of their own. They were almost like living things. Children grew to love them, gave them pet names, Lizzie, Lena, Bouncing Betty. They crept from the garage into the affections of the home. They were members of the family. There's a good long stretch toward the end of the show where the audience sees nothing but car crashes and chases and other Keystone cop-style mayhem. But even those scenes extend the metaphor. They represent a man's passionate courtship of a woman before they both finally settle down. To me, the really striking transitional point is when he says that it becomes a marriage which he dates actually to 1929, by which point, uh, you know, automobile sales were in the millions a year, right before the depression. How did that chase end up? It didn't. It's like our romance with the automobile was still going on. The honeymoon ended along with a few other things in 1929. But we're still very much married to Lizzie. And 
this marriage metaphor, I think, is a really interesting twist as well, because, you know, according to the cliches, particularly of that time, a marriage is not all bliss. It's also, though, a necessity. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's an institution that we respect, even if it's sometimes a bit of a hassle. Um, I love the part where right at the very end, he's uh, in a Chevy on a freeway in, I think, Los Angeles. And he says, We don't always know how to get along with her, but he's saying he can't get along without her. that isn't marriage, I don't know what is. Kind of a strange way to be selling car dependency, but because it, it's not making it very attractive. But I think it's the smart way to do it, because to pretend that car dependency is trouble-free would be incredible. So instead, at the conclusion, he's admitting that car dependency is, is a problem. We can't get along without her. We can't get along with her. This is perhaps another reason why Groucho was the perfect pitchman for car dependency, because in 1961, he was on his third marriage, and even that one would end in divorce. We've been through two wars together and a depression. She's carried us through the air age and into the atomic age. And wherever we're headed now, it'll, it'll be in something like this. It may be nuclear-powered, radar-controlled, gyro-steered, and vitamin-enriched. But it'll have license plates front or back, headlights and a horn, and. Once in a while, we'll still have to get out and give it a shove. So merrily we roll along. Merrily we roll along came and went, but the expression America's love affair with cars or America's love affair with automobiles, that stuck around. Unsurprisingly, with that much publicity, that much promotion, this this started to get into circulation, but the program was certainly not part of uh, classic television memories for people. And I think that actually kind of helped because it meant that people lost sight of where this expression began and began to assume that it was just an expression like other expressions that are just out there in circulation. According to Peter Norton, by the late 1960s and 1970s, the expression became so common that even the most ardent critics of cars found themselves using it. And that's a win for the car promoters because the critics are walking right into the role that was cast for them by the car promoters, namely the role of being elitists who are judging the majority. So if you're condemning car dependency and you're condemning it by saying, well, our problem is Americans have a love affair with the car, you're probably unwittingly walking into a position that says, I'm against the majority. And unfortunately, the majority just aren't bright enough to see it. Today, you're likely to hear the expression used in a completely different way. It's time for your early reads. Is America's love affair with the automobile officially over? The Washington Post reporting Americans are not only driving less, Ashley, but fewer are buying cars at all. A quarter of adults in Washington, D.C. don't even have a car. And while high gas prices and unemployment are partially to blame, listen to this. New social technology has created a world people can connect with friends and family without leaving the house. But even that, Peter argues, is a win for motordom. The fact that you're seeing this expression love affair repeatedly applied to motor vehicles, cars and trucks relentlessly puts the journalist in the position of confirming a very questionable assumption 
namely the assumption that if people buy cars and if they drive a lot, then this means that they are expressing a preference. And this is such a fundamental error because you cannot know what people prefer when they don't have good choices. In all but a handful of places in the United States, it's basically impossible to get around without a car. So it's probably not right to say that Americans have a love affair with the automobile. It's more like an arranged marriage. A marriage arranged for us, we're stuck, like Groucho admitted that we're stuck, but we didn't get stuck in this because of an essential preference or because of a mad passion. We got stuck because our choices were systemically or systematically deprived from us, and we, we have what's left. I'm not denying, by the way, that driving can be very satisfying, fun, pleasurable, but satisfying, fun, pleasurable driving is not what people are normally engaged in when they're driving a car. Typically, when they're driving a car, it's a chore. Um, and I don't think we're being fair even to drivers when we interpret their driving as an expression of their choice. We have to give them good choices before we can tell. That's it for this episode of The War on Cars. Thanks to Peter Norton at the University of Virginia for walking me through this fascinating history. You can buy Peter's book, Fighting Traffic, by visiting the official War on Cars page on bookshop.org. Go to bookshop.org slash shop slash the war on cars. If you have a love affair with the war on cars, please support us on Patreon. Head over to thewaroncars.org, click on Become a Patreon Supporter, and for just $2 a month, we will send you stickers and give you access to bonus episodes. Speaking of which, thanks to our top Patreon supporters, Charlie G. of Human Powered Law in Portland, Oregon, the Law Office of Vicara and White in New York, Drew Raines, and Virginia Baker. Don't forget, War on Cars listeners can get 20% off everything in the Cleverhood store, by visiting cleverhood.com slash waroncars. Enter promo code waroncars, that's all one word, at checkout and you will get your discount. I've been wearing the new Rover Rain Cape and it has become my go-to gear for biking and walking around Brooklyn in bad weather. It's awesome, go check it out. This episode was produced and edited by me. Special thanks to Josh Wilcox at the Brooklyn Podcasting Studio for recording my narration. Our theme music is by Nathaniel Goodyear. Our logo is by Danny Finkel of Crucial D Designs. I'm Doug Gordon, and on behalf of my co-hosts, Aaron Napperstek and Sarah Goodyear, this is The War on Cars. love to drive this car. It's long and low and roomier, so handsome you can see. It's powerful and I'm so glad that Groucho sent me. Listen to him when you hear Groucho say, Go drive the new DeSoto at DeSoto Plymouth Dealers today.